a high short kick that is going to come up and bounce at the 20. Rutgers has a chance to recover it, and they do! What a play by the Scarlet Knights! Get it to Harper with three, with two, with one. Harper for the win! Got it! On and 10 at the 21. Wimson hands it off. It's Manunga getting to the corner left. 20, 15, catching to 10. Manunga down near the goal line. He is in! Touchdown, Rutgers! Now with six. Baker making his move with five. Step back three for the lead. Welcome back to the Scarlet Faithful Podcast on Wednesday, January 24th. I'm Aaron Brightman, and happy to have back David Anderson to talk some Rutgers football. David, thanks so much for being here. Always appreciate it, Aaron. So today we wanted to, uh, being in the offseason, second semester is underway now uh, for Rutgers football, some strength and conditioning training uh, as they begin to prepare for the pivotal 2024 season. We wanted to look back at the last decade specifically for Rutgers football in the Big Ten and comparatively to how they have charted uh, against former Big East foes. Uh, They have obviously had a run here lately in terms of uh, facing former Big East foes and having a lot of success, having four wins in the last three seasons. Some more of those teams are on the schedule in the future. But wanted to take a look back of, of where these programs have been where they are now, and how they're best positioned for the future. So with David, uh, you did a a lot of great research uh, for this. Uh, Why don't you kick it off? Yeah, so, you know, in in my regular day job, when I'm on calls, sometimes I just start making spreadsheets, and sometimes those become Rutgers football spreadsheets where I'm interested to look back at how things might be going. And so I'm not going to try to bore your listeners with, you know, data points, but I tried to just see how things are comparing between Rutgers and former Big East foes, as well as just some other teams from the Northeast, looking at things like recruiting, how their trends uh, win-wise over the last couple of years, uh, as well as, you know, some things just to see, okay, where do we really think Rutgers is? I mean, I think one of the things we're talking about offline is that we don't really know how much NIL does Louisville have compared to Pittsburgh or compared to Cincinnati or something like that? We really don't know, but just based on what we've seen on the field. And so when I look at a lot of these numbers, I guess let's just start with recruiting. So from a recruiting standpoint of all the teams that were in the big East and there's, there's 12 that uh, at, resided in the football big East conference at one point, Louisville, Miami, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, Rutgers, BC, Syracuse, Pittsburgh, USF, Cincinnati, UConn, and Temple. And of all of those teams, if you look at the recruiting in the last five years, and the reason I picked five years is because those are roughly the guys who are on your team now, Miami has averaged a recruiting class of 11th in the nation, which is far and away the best. After that, you have a grouping in the 40s that includes Louisville, West Virginia, Virginia Tech, and then Rutgers, and then right around 50, you have Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. So Miami is head and shoulders above the other teams when it comes to recruiting, which I think gives them an obvious advantage. But even if we look back that Miami uh, joined the Big East in 1991, they were coming off of multiple national championships in the 80s as well. So it comes as no surprise that being in a fertile recruiting ground, they should have more access to talent. Now, 
all of us saw Rutgers beat that team in a bowl game in the last game that they played. So even with that huge advantage that Miami has had in recruiting on the field in a one game scenario, Rutgers did win. Right. And so. And David, David, just to clarify, all these recruiting rankings are based on the 24 seven sports composite rankings from the last composite. five years. Composite. Yeah. So I'm going off two, four, seven composite over the last five years. The 247 itself might be slightly different, but I'm averaging out the 247 composite. Which includes other national recruiting sites. Right. The idea is that includes all the main sites, which would be you know rivals. In the past, ESPN, I'm not sure if it's still included in there, et cetera. Yep. So, but right. I mean, no matter how you slice it, I'm sure even if we were looking at one source, Miami would be up above there. But the Hurricanes have only averaged 6.75 wins per season. They've only had two division titles in the ACC, and they've only finished in the top 25 twice in that time period. Now, there's reason for optimism with the Hurricanes, as there always is, because they have talent on the roster, and they have added Cam Ward, the quarterback from Washington State, in this upcoming season. So I do think that long-term as well as short-term, you have to say that Miami is in one of the best positions of all the teams coming out of the former Big East just like they were before they joined the Big East, while they were in the Big East, and since they've been in the ACC after that. I mean, any thoughts on just the state of Miami? I know we kind of beat them up at nauseum when we were prepping for the bowl game. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think, as you said, I think Miami, whether it's funny, like I look at Miami and in some ways – this might not be the best in that uh, comparison, but like as Georgetown in basketball, where it's still a national brand, whether they're as successful and they're not as successful as they previously were, it's still a, a huge brand and it resonates nationally. Uh, and that, that certainly gives you an advantage and positions you pretty well. You know, they have had a very good NIL situation for a while. I'm not exactly sure what it is right now with the guy from life wallet. And I know he was getting in trouble a little bit. So but that was obviously, you know, boosting their their their, um, their recruiting also. Um, but yeah, they they've been inconsistent on the field. But as a program, and you mentioned the fertile recruiting ground, all that. I think it's hard to argue against that. Even though they've underperformed the last few years, they're still probably best positioned as a program moving forward. Where, where the the kind of the X factor, I think, is the future of the ACC. And I know we're getting into that in terms of conference stability. Right. But that's, you know, you could argue coaching or whatever with Cristobal and, you know, Miami fans aren't happy with him, but I think the, the biggest unknown with them is, is their conference affiliation and do they ultimately end up somewhere else? But in terms of, again, it goes back to that national brand part that I think no matter where they ultimately are in the future, I, I think they, they, they still are well positioned because Miami is, is, is a brand that, you know, has, it resonates. Right. Yeah, and that probably makes them different than all the other teams on this list because even when you look at the other teams that were often at the top of the Big East, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, they're not as much national brand. Sure. I think that, you know, from a just if you want to talk about branding standpoint, the other team that I think is best positioned and arguably probably in a better spot than Rutgers at, right now is Louisville or Louisville, as they say, they had a 10 win season this year. They reached the ACC title game. They have 
Brom as their head coach after a successful run at Purdue. He and his brother obviously both played at Louisville. And if you look at, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, they're, again, in the 247 composite, their recruiting average has been 44th in the last five years. Rutgers is at 45.2 average. So they are only a hair ahead of Rutgers in terms of the recruiting. Now, I, I want to caveat that by saying we know that because of their location being a little bit more in the middle of, of an area of Kentucky and, you know, Southern Ohio, that's not as thought of as maybe there's less writers, maybe there's less camps there. It's possible that they're being undervalued in terms of the type of player they're recruiting, but they're in the same ballpark as Rutgers. When you look at their wins totals, I mean, they won four, six, eight, and 10 over the last four years in increasing. uh, And then they've also added 24 guys from the transfer portal including 13 guys from the power five this year. So that would lead you to believe that there's probably some NIL there as someone who used to travel to Louisville quarterly for work for a few years prior to the pandemic. It's definitely obvious how they are the team there. I mean, you go to the airport, people are wearing their gear. You're walking around the streets. People are wearing their gear. There's just advertising everywhere. And so it kind of is an interesting place because it's a maybe not the biggest American city, but it is an American city. But they also are their number one team is their college program, which is not common. A lot of these other schools, like for example, West Virginia, Morgantown is not nearly as big of a city. So even if they quote own the city, it's it's not as big. So I do think Louisville's in a good position. Um, they do lose Plummer, the quarterback, who played at Purdue. But they have brought in uh, a seventh-year senior who's going to be 25 years old, uh, who played at Oregon and Texas Tech. So we we know we, we got a good laugh out of Cam McCormick coming back to Miami for his ninth season. But there's these other guys coming back for their seventh season now and then. So I do think Louisville's in a good position, and we've seen through several administrations of their coaching staff that they have been able to weather the storm. And then another thing that's quite interesting when you talk about the conference is they are in the ACC, but they're a team that I'm sure if they decided, Hey, we just want to go to the big 12, they could go. And they're also a possible candidate possible for a, a maybe a big 10 expansion as well. I don't want to say because there would be multiple opportunities for the big 10 to pick them up, but geographically they're in the right place. If that even matters. And they do have a long enough history and a strong enough fan base that you could see them having a lot of different destinations and conference realignment, which positions them in a uniquely good way. Any other yeah. thoughts on Louisville, who kind of came in as a second generation? They basically, in effect, replaced Miami in the Big East. But other thoughts on them? Yeah, it's a great point about their, their being a focal point in a, in a city like that. Uh, I agree with you. I think they would have a lot of options. I think they, they're probably – make the most sense in either the big 12 or the sec, probably the sec, uh, if that ultimately happened. Um, mm. and, and why we don't know the NIL situation, we know that Louisville has pretty big boosters and, you know, they want to win and Brahm's going to have all the support he can have there. So yes, I agree. I think they're, they're the clear number two in all of this, uh, because even, even like down years at Louisville have still been, you know, not bad for other programs. And, uh, the fact that they have uh, kind of 
you could argue almost overachieved a little bit just based on those recruiting rankings in the past. Um, you know, obviously they benefit from a, a weaker ACC, and that's part of it too. Not necessarily saying they would go to the SEC and be successful uh, at least right away, but uh, yes, in terms of a, as a brand uh, and an athletic department, I think that they they would have options. Um, so yeah, in terms of leaving the Big East, I mean they they had a, a great run there for a while. Um, I'm actually surprised they haven't been uh, that they've had any kind of down period in the ACC, just because I think the ACC is kind of weak. Um, and Miami as well. Like I think of both programs, even though they're clearly best positioned uh, and they have, I think, ar arguably the most financial support, they haven't actually succeeded in the ACC. They, they haven't dominated the ACC like I kind of thought both of them would. Right. And I think one of the reasons, that, one of the ways to look at that is your bowl appearances and wins. Because from a bowl game, yeah, I mean, Louisville has been to eight. Miami's been to seven in the last decade. But Miami's only won one. And we know that part of that is because they often have guys go in the NFL, transfers, you know, things like that. But Louisville's only won three of their eight bowl games in the last decade. They've had one – each team has had one 10-win season. And so you would have thought that there might have been more, more improvement there uh, with that situation, which kind of so, leads me to – or go ahead. No, I was going to say, so we kind of talked about those two teams. Now how do we look at – I mean, and, and I think the reality is, right, Rutgers was never really at their levels consistently. There were years that right. Rutgers, obviously Rutgers had success against Louisville. Uh, in the Big East, uh, of course, 2006. And, you know, that that Mike Teal's last year was a 2008 when he bludgeoned them. Yeah, with like, yeah. yeah with, with the, the passing records and all that. But, you know, overall, over time, Louisville has been the more successful program. Uh, so now let's look at Rutgers comparatively to kind of who we've always interpreted as their East Coast rivals with BC, Syracuse, even Pittsburgh, and, and how we see that right now. Yeah, so when I was doing some of this research, there seemed like a clear line of demarcation between West Virginia and Virginia Tech above, mm -hmm. and then probably Rutgers, and then you get a grouping of BC, Syracuse, and Pittsburgh. Now, in the case of Pittsburgh, it's a little bit interesting because they do have seven bowl games, two bowl wins. They had a 10-win season in 2021 when they won 11 games and won an ACC title, which is the only team that has won an ACC title from this list, really any conference the, That's of crazy. the former Big East uh, schools, other than Cincinnati, who won the American. We'll get to them in a minute. But between BC, Syracuse, and Pittsburgh, um, Rutgers has recruited better than all three of them. They have uh, had less overall wins. Uh, BC's been averaging 5.5 over the last four years, Syracuse 4.75, and Pittsburgh 7.25. But Pittsburgh only won three games this year. The bottom completely fell out on them in a non-stacked conference. Uh, There's people just wondering what the heck happened. Uh, they benched Phil, two former quarterbacks Rutgers is familiar with, uh, Yurkovic, who had been at BC, who went to Pitt, and then as well as Christian Villeu, who was at Penn State and led Penn State to a win over Rutgers when he came in in a relief role. So they kind of went through two quarterbacks, still couldn't do anything. And now Villeu is not expected to be the starter heading into spring practice. It's between Yarnell and then they brought in a guy who was at Alabama, Holstein. So 
there's just a lot of tumult. And I don't know with Pittsburgh if this is coming from their coaching staff or just players. I really don't know. If I had to guess, I think that it's a little bit of both. But when I watched them play, you know, in 21 and 22, when they won 11 and nine games respectively, it seemed like they had a coaching staff that was pretty good. So it's possible that maybe they were masking some deficiencies within the program and therefore kind of eventually came back to bite them. It's possible that they could bounce back this year, but they were really feeling kind of desperate. And when I look at overall, Pittsburgh is more in that class of Miami. They've actually had a better – so the simple rating system is kind of like the old RPI in basketball. They take your winning percentage, your opponent's winning percentage. They don't really look at too much other stuff than that. And Pittsburgh, over the last few years, does have a very favorable uh, rating there. It's actually the second best behind Louisville. But this past year was rocky. And so – It'll really be interesting to see what happens with Pittsburgh, but there's a good chance that Rutgers is in a better position than them long-term and might even be able to say that they're in a better position right now. But Pitt is also kind of the opposite of Louisville. When you go to the city of Pittsburgh, which I also travel to for work a lot, it's not their city at all. Like they are a tenant of the Pittsburgh Steelers in effect. And so Yeah, there's some money there. Yeah, they have some tradition, like going back to Dan Marino in the 80s, pre-Big East. But even during the Big East years, they were very up and down. Rutgers was able to beat them a few times, whereas some of the other teams we're about to talk about, they never did. So I find Pittsburgh to be in an odd space. I don't know if that 11-win season was an aberration or this three-win season is an aberration. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with them uh, in the next couple of years. Well, with with Pitt, you know, they've always struggled to fill that stadium uh, in terms of, you know, having a true home field advantage. I think the biggest denominator with Pitt from this year for the previous years is they don't have Kenny Pickett anymore, who was so stable at quarterback. Uh, I'm really surprised Jerkovic just bombed the way he did uh, because, I mean, remember before Rutgers played him against BC, he was so hyped up as a, you know, NFL draft prospect and everything. But I think, yeah, QB play obviously is a huge factor. And I think that that just in college football, you've seen it this year with the transfer portal and the top quarterbacks all leaving and going to different destinations. So I think that does bring a uh, more instability across the board, even for the top programs, just in regard of they're all going to be reloading each year with different quarterbacks. So when you find one and you can keep one like Pitt did with Kenny Pickett, it brings stability and success to your program. And when you don't have that, you don't. So I think, you know, with Rutgers, uh, and I know we're going to talk about it a little bit, but just with Wimsett and, and Calic Manis, you know, they're not necessarily in a position of strength, but I, I don't think they're in a position of, of great weakness either in terms of that we've talked about. They, you know, they have more experience now. They have more options. Um, they don't have a top flight quarterback, but we, we saw what happened to Pitt last year when they, you know, even brought in a highly regarded quarterback and it, it bombed out. So, yeah, I think with Pitt, the, the fan support has certainly always been an issue. They've never been able to fill that stadium. And financially, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how their NIL situation is. But, you know, as an athletic department, I don't think they, they – they, their exposure – being in such a large city, you're right. Like, their exposure is not what you would think it is simply because they are overshadowed. Well, it's, it's similar to Rutgers in that when they're good, they get a little bit more local support. It's more of an event. And when they're not good, not so much. Right. Like it's very easy for the average person in the area to 
you're like, oh, they're doing well this year and tune in, but it's very easy to tune them out as well, which right. kind of leads me to the antithesis in many ways of Pitt, which is Syracuse, because Syracuse is the only show in town during the fall in upstate New York, other than the Buffalo Bills, I guess you could say at this point. And Pittsburgh has recruited much better than Syracuse, but yet Syracuse is able to land Kyle McCord in the transfer portal this year. So, and in terms of quarterback stability, that'll be interesting to watch. But I think that this is really the sticking point where, where the rubber meets the road of how good of it is your quarterback and how much is your infrastructure around your quarterback. Because Syracuse is recruiting, again, 247 composite average over the past five years is 62.2. And that has been boosted heavily by the fact that they are currently the 37th ranked recruiting class in 2024 since they've added Fran Brown as their head coach, which is actually one spot below Rutgers. So even with all the talk that we're seeing, message boards, Fran's a great recruiter, which he is. But even then, they're still one notch below Rutgers. And I know he wasn't hired, like, in time to make that as much of a difference, et cetera. Right. But um, that is something that's going to be interesting to watch. I mean, and then after Kyle McCord, then what happens at Syracuse? Can they bring another quarterback? So they have NIL money for it. I'm not really sure. Uh, to their credit though, Syracuse has had one 10 win season over the last decade, which is as good as all of the other teams that are in the ACC. None of them have had more than one 10 win season. And the other thing is, that I think we we don't talk about enough is they did upset Clemson. I believe it was twice. Might have even been more than that. But when we talk about those shining moments, Rutgers has not defeated a top twenty-five team since two thousand nine or two thousand eight. So yeah, Syracuse has had some highs that might give you a little bit more juice that we haven't seen, and even that some of the other teams in this list have not really done. And so. There's also an avenue where they could do well, but I also think they're in conference purgatory because they're a really tough ad if you're another conference because of travel budget, the other sports. I mean, even if football and basketball have historically good, you know, obviously they were also a famous lacrosse program for a time, for a long time. You know, it's it's a tough, they're the opposite of Louisville and Pittsburgh and like they're in no man's land when it comes to some of this stuff. I do, again, I have a lot of respect for Fran Brown as a recruiter. We'll see how it happens on the field. But do they have the infrastructure in place? I would definitely say Rutgers has the edge over Syracuse right now in terms of how they're positioned to succeed over the next couple of years. Uh, any other thoughts? I, I have Syracuse and Pittsburgh together because they're kind of polar opposites. But at the same time, at the end of the day, they're kind of scoring along the same lines in many of many of these categories other than wins on the field, which Pitt overall has been more consistent with lately. Yeah. Syracuse is an interesting case simply because they are in transition with Fran Brown. Uh, obviously, you know, they're boosted somewhat uh, by the, by uh, first year coach recruiting. He obviously hasn't had the full cycle. He definitely raised a lot of NIL. Uh, you know, Kyle McCord was, was certainly a big, uh, a big ad and NIL was certainly a factor there. Um, I think, you know, th th there's some concern in terms of the impact he can have long term in terms of recruiting New Jersey uh, and how that will impact Rutgers. My argument always with Fran Brown with, with Willie Hurt Rutgers is that Rutgers never really did particularly well in South Jersey before Fran Brown and hasn't done particularly well without him. So 
now that he's at Syracuse Shore, I guess, you know, he's going to go in and get some guys from there. But Rutgers has never – it's not like a, an area they've always done well, and then now they're going to lose out in that area. So I, I kind of feel like maybe that logic doesn't make sense, but to me it just makes me feel like it's not it, – it, he's going to do his thing. Rutgers is going to do their thing. You would always love Rutgers to be more successful in South Jersey, and maybe with some of these new hires, um, you know, on the defensive line, that will help. But I think that long term, yeah, he's he's still got to prove he can coach. I think one interesting fact, I, th- I think as a f- first year, there's a lot of pressure on him because he got McCord, and that schedule on paper is very manageable. So, you know, I feel like if they don't get at least eight wins in that schedule, uh, you could argue that, that that's a disappointment. And that's, that's asking a lot, I think, for a first-year coach. So I, it's going to be interesting to see how he does that. I, I don't think it's guaranteed success. I think some of the challenges you mentioned are valid. And it's interesting, right, because their their future is very unstable because they are in the ACC and the way they are geographically and all that. And Rutgers, which we're going to discuss in further detail, but they are more stable because of their positioning in the conference. However, mm-hmm. you could argue that on the field, their ceiling is lower because their competition is so much greater. Where Syracuse, again, looking at that 24 schedule, is, you know, th- there's a lot of opportunity for them to have a huge season. Um, I know some people, and, and I talked about it last week, about Rutgers having a more favorable schedule, and that's definitely true. But, again, you're always going to be in the Big Ten. Now you're adding the four-pack 12 teams. It's always going to be a much harder schedule than Syracuse has as long as they stay in the ACC. So, it, it's almost like a TBD on there, but I think that if, if with Shiano at Rutgers, I agree. I think that that elevates them over Syracuse in the long run. I think Fran Brown, you know, could certainly elevate them uh, as well, but I think it's a little bit of a wait and see. I, I don't think it's, you know, assumptions that he's going to elevate them past Rutgers. I think that's a little bit premature. Sure. I mean, again, I think the, the thing that make was so interesting to me with Syracuse is that, when Rutgers played them in 2021, right? Yep. And beat them. I mean, Rutgers didn't score a lot of points, but the game wasn't really in doubt for most of it. Tommy DeVito was running for his life. He got benched for Garrett Schrader. And then DeVito goes to Illinois, which, shocking to many of us, was somehow way more of a stable environment for him. He does well. He goes into the NFL and has a few good starts in the NFL after being run out of town in Syracuse. So to me, that is an indicator of they didn't really have the team around him to be able to maximize the talents of a guy who was playing on Sundays this past year. Uh, Now I think Garrett Schrader did pretty well. I mean, you saw what Syracuse did, or I should say did not do without him on the field at the end of the season, they were atrocious getting absolutely destroyed. Unfortunately for our friend Nunzio Campanile in the bowl game, but it's going to take a lot for Fran Brown to completely redo the infrastructure there. And to your point, even if they have a good season this year when he has a lot of pressure, that may or may not be indicative of a really solid foundation, which right. is hard to say, which kind of leads me to a team that we thought had a solid foundation and the other one of that trio, which is Boston College, who, I mean, we, we act like Rutgers beat the – Crit out of them, but it's not true. I mean, as much as Rutgers really dominated Syracuse in 21, they did not dominate in BC in 22. That was a dogfight that Rutgers just happened to come out on top of. I mean, I think as the game went on, Rutgers was better and better and better. Like if that game went 
six or seven or eight quarters, I, yeah, I think Rutgers would have won by more points because eventually they wore out BC. But, you know, the Eagles are a team that under Halfley, just like some of their other previous coaches, you know, like Steve Adazio, for example, they, they're solid, but they really don't show very many flashes of beating really good teams. Just like Syracuse beat Clemson twice. I mean, BC in most of their toss-up game, in most of their toss-up games, they're competitive. They beat all the teams they should beat, but against anyone good, they just imploded. Like they got absolutely destroyed by Miami this year as well. And I don't think that's necessarily a knock on Halfley, but I do think that this is a it's similar to a pit situation where if they're doing really well, then the city of Boston might gravitate towards them a little bit. But if they're not, I mean they're there's Boston Bruins hockey. You got an NFL town there. There's so many other things that people are doing in, in that city that it's really tough to, it's really tough to do what they've been doing to their credit, which is basically maintain this win space. They've won six, six, and then they only won three and then they won seven games. So they have been able to kind of stay steady. I think you're starting to see cracks in the armor there though, where, and I'm not sure how much NIL is a factor in this, but they were always able to consistently produce deep offensive lines that I think kept their program at a certain point. And the question is, do they still have that? I mean, this year Castellanos ran for over a thousand yards. He passed for 2000, but he was really a one man team. And without a quarterback who's that quick, I, I mean, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. So I, I think Hathley's a good coach, but I think he's kind of in a tough spot where you know, much like Syracuse, they're also in somewhat conference purgatory. They were lucky to be scooped up by the ACC when they were, or else they might have descended to the depths of a, a, a UConn or something like that. Mm-hmm. Any other thoughts on BC? I know you lived in Boston for a while. Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I lived in Boston for five years, and uh, no one cares about BC other than BC grads. They, they do not resonate with the city at all, other than people that went there. Uh, you know, in Chestnut Hills, about, you know, Little, little bit of a, a T ride or, or drive outside of the city. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're not, you, you know, I obviously didn't live there during the Flutie time or uh, when they've been ultra successful. But, um, you know, from my experience, uh, they, they're kind of an afterthought other than uh, BC graduates that, that care. Um, and I agree. I, you know, I, I was big on Halfley. I thought that was a great hire when they made it. Um, but I think that, yes, uh, I, in a way, you know, I, I, I think the part of the context of why we wanted to do this episode too, is that, you know, for those that, that are, are um, younger fans also like the perception and kind of the, the, the um, pecking order of the old big East when Rutgers was in there. I mean, they were, they were all very, you know, near the bottom Rutgers had some seasons where they, they, they were flirting with success four or five, six win seasons, um, you know, never really able to break through with a bowl, but they were always generally considered below Syracuse, Boston College. You know, obviously West Virginia dominated Rutgers over time and, and those, uh, you know, bigger schools like Virginia Tech and Miami, so there's a bigger programs, you know, always had a lot of success. Uh, and then when they left, but even after that, you know, it was always a struggle. I mean, Rutgers had some success against Syracuse uh, and, and uh, BC was not, not nearly as much. Uh, my one win uh, when I was a senior at Rutgers was against Syracuse on a last minute field goal. So, um, you know, but Sarah, I mean, listen, people forget. I mean, remember when Syracuse had Donovan McNabb, Marvin Harrison, uh, Kevin Johnson was the guy that played yeah. in the pros. I Rob Conrad, the fullback. They yeah, Rob Conrad. Um, 
you know, uh, they, 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 they were a legit football program back then. So uh, they, it's certainly not at that level. And then BC, yeah, I mean, BC had an allure about them for a long time, post Flutie uh, and, and just very successful. So I, I think, you know, we're kind of, well, we're middle-aged at this point. And I think for our perspectives, looking back, you know, to see Rutgers in a, in a potentially better situation long-term, at least for me, it's satisfying because, and then to see Rutgers have success with these programs on the field in the last three seasons, beating Boston college on the road, beating Syracuse on the road, beating Virginia tech at home, and then beating Miami in the bowl game, you know, from, from my personal experience and perspective as a Rutgers fan, that's really satisfying just based on past history. And then now opening it up and looking at kind of the road ahead uh, with conference stability, with infrastructure, you know, we didn't really touch on facilities too much, um, right. but you know, th- that's obviously part of it. BC is definitely behind the eight ball with facilities. Uh, I, I know that's a, a big struggle for them. You know, Syracuse has the dome and, and, you know, they're working on some facility plans, but, um, you know, and Rutgers, obviously we know they want to build the death star for Shiano and, but that's kind of taken a back burner NIL. So again, there's, there's so many factors in play, but I think it's hard to argue that if you look back on the decade and I go, I go back to Pete Thamel, excuse me. Um, uh, Stuart Mandel and that article before the season talking about Rutgers being the worst conference realignment move in history as a complete and utter disgrace of an argument, simply for the fact that if you look at where Rutgers is right now, a decade into the Big Ten, yes, they struggled at times, but if you look at them compared to their old foes from the Big East that jumped ship and were considered much better programs, Rutgers is in a I think of a better situation now moving forward and coaching's part of that. Right. But I, I just think that it just proves that that is not true whatsoever because Rutgers has benefited from the big 10. And even though they haven't had crazy success and they've struggled certain years, we're seeing the recruiting, right. They're they're The recruiting has benefited by being in the big 10. Their, their, their financial resources in terms of what the administration is putting into the program has benefited. The TV contract is going to benefit them even more moving forward. So uh, the Big Ten stability and being kind of, you know, if we are going towards a power two, they're in, they're, they have a seat at the table. And all right. those other programs, even Miami right now, you can't sit there and say 100% they will. They probably will, but they don't right now. So I think that my long-winded point is, and my wanting to do this episode, and I've had people reach out to me and wanting to do something like this in the past, was that, you know, where Rutgers was, again, it's all about the journey and it's all about looking at perspective. And I just think, you know, whether Rutgers has had as much success or highlight wins or bull wins or whatever against these other programs, where we are right now, sitting right now, I think Rutgers is as well positioned as they've been comparatively to these other programs. Probably, yeah. I mean, I think that the better, the best is to just look side by side between Rutgers, BC, Syracuse, and Pitt. All four of those teams, you know, they're in the Northeast. They're they have different challenges than some of these other ones. And I mean, BC, they also got that boost from Matt Ryan because when Matt Ryan was their quarterback, they did go to, I believe it was back to back ACC championship games in 2007, 2008, which gave them a little bit of a boost. Uh, but other than that, like they haven't won 10 games, even in the ACC. I think BC, we forget, like Rutgers did beat Syracuse and Pittsburgh from time to time. I mean, they were demolished more often by Syracuse, but they also beat them more, even especially late in those Big East years. Rutgers really was beating them a lot 
there was a couple games Syracuse kind of pulled an upset, but it was considered an upset for Syracuse to beat Rutgers by that point. BC was always a thorn in Rutgers' side because they, even when Rutgers was like seven and four or whatever, a couple times early on in the Big East days, BC always seemed to have their number. Even if the team seemed comparable, BC was whatever had their number. And so it's nice to see Rutgers have the edge there. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how this progresses. But I definitely agree with you. Rutgers is definitely in a better position than BC right now. And it's not just because they beat them by one point. It's because, you know, all these other things uh, going on, which kind of leads me into the other team that always had Rutgers' number, West Virginia, who Rutgers has not beaten since the early 80s with, I believe, Tyrone Stowe, who is an all-time great Rutgers player. You could possibly say he's the greatest Rutgers player in college uh, ever. I mean, I'm sure we'll get plenty of comments about that, but he was completely dominant. He had many games, like 20 tackles. I think in that win against West Virginia, he had like 27 tackles or something like that. That was might have been the last time Rutgers beat West Virginia. But West Virginia is a team that's currently in the Big 12. So they're also in a situation like uh, Louisville where they're kind of capable of ending up in a lot of different conferences if the way things break over the next couple of years. They have a very solid fan base. They have been able to recruit New Jersey particularly well, which is interesting. Uh, but even then, when you look at their recruiting rankings, again, 247 composite average over the past five years, they've averaged a 41.2. So only four slots better than Rutgers, which, again, is a rough estimate, right? We're really talking about ballpark. They're, they're very close. On the field, they've only averaged 6.5 wins over the last four years, but they did win nine games this year. They had a really nice season this past year. The Big 12 was a little odd because you really had Texas – And then you had a ton of teams that stunk. And then you had a bunch of teams that were in the middle of the pack who beat up on the teams on the bottom. And they were one of those middle of the pack teams. But really West Virginia is like the type of program that we probably, if we would have been having this conversation 20 years ago, this probably what we would be talking about was that would be a type of program Rutgers is trying to model themselves after in terms of their success and consistency on the field. I mean, West Virginia has had very few downturns. They've been to eight bowl games. They won three of them. They've had only one 10-win season. But in the last four years, when I was talking about that simple rating system, they are the only one of all of the teams that are in the Big East that have been an above-average FBS football program each of the last four years. So basically, it's kind of like with simple rating system, zero is average. So usually somewhere between 65, 70 teams are above average and 65, 70 are below They're the only one who has been above average each of the last four years. And that's the type of stability that we talk about that you would really like to see with your football program, because then year in and year out, you would be putting a competitive product on the field. So yeah, their conference is not as strong as the big 10, but the big 12 was on potentially its deathbed, but they kind of won a war with the pac 12 to survive. And now the big 12 is, still one of the four conferences that's around, whereas mm-hmm. the Pac-12 is not. So I think West Virginia rolled the dice, and I think it came up you know, positively for them in recent years. But this is really, to your point, just a continuation of not excellence per se, but consistent performance over the course of 40 years, really, than yeah. anything else in the case of West Virginia. And so I think Rutgers is – in an equal place to them, maybe in terms of looking forward, 
But looking backward, West Virginia has definitely been head and usually shoulders above Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Uh, and, and I think you can even argue, like, they've been more stable. But I think you did you, – you cited actual facts that show that they've been more stable than Miami and Louisville despite maybe yes. not having the same talent level. Um, and I think, you know, West Virginia has great booster support, a great alumni support. And I think you could even argue now with, with Bob Huggins being gone from basketball, I think football is going to be able to kind of take their seat back at the top in terms of the pecking order within the athletic department. They have a new AD now. So I, I feel like football is going to potentially even go up from here. And you're right, the, the, the Big 12 has kind of been a little bit mediocre in the middle there. So the fact that they've never really fell off, it's like they fell off from the national conversation where, where they you know did get that being in the Big East, which maybe is a little ironic because it's right. an East Coast right. league. But uh, from a national relevance, yeah, they're, they're not as high, but but they are very stable. Uh, one last point uh, as we wrap up here. Uh, I did a scheduling podcast recently, and people were saying they want Rutgers to play West Virginia. I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon simply because the Big 12 does play nine non, uh, nine conference games. They only play three non-conference games, and Pitt, uh, West Virginia has an ongoing series with Pitt. So I can't ever see them playing – Rutgers, Rutgers does have Boston College on the schedule in 25 and 26. They have Virginia Tech on the schedule for next year. So that will be interesting in terms of tracking all this and continuing to prove it on the field. Um, but I, I agree with you. I think West Virginia is, is a, a great t- uh, program to talk about in terms of where Rutgers is and one that always dominated Rutgers. But uh, listen, even to just kind of be in the same neighborhood moving forward would be a pretty, pretty, pretty good, uh, pretty uh, good neighborhood to be in. Right. And that, I mean, I know it's a little bit, you know, last minute, but we didn't get to Virginia Tech. And there's kind of a couple of reasons for that for the listeners. One is because Rutgers did play them last year. We talked a lot about it last year and they've got them on the schedule again next year. So, or I should say this year, however you want to look at it in 2024. So a lot of that is going to be handled in the wash. If Rutgers goes into Blacksburg and beats them again this year, then pretty much whatever we're about to say on this podcast is, not necessarily irrelevant, but it's more of an indicator as to what's happening on the field, especially in a sample size of two games. And these other teams, they've only played them once, and anything can happen in one game. Yep. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Virginia Tech, who historically destroyed Rutgers. Um, in terms of where they are overall, their recruiting rankings have been 47.4 on average over the last five years. So they've actually been recruiting worse than Rutgers, but they did have a nice seven-win season this year. They really turned it on after that loss to Rutgers. I think Brent Pry is a good coach. They have a good, they have a good following, but they don't have as many alums as a lot of these other schools. So I'm not sure if that's, but their alums that they do have have a good amount of money because it's a very high achieving school, uh, you know, in engineering. So I'd, it would be interesting to see what happens for Virginia Tech. And just real quickly, obviously we didn't talk about Temple, who was in two stints in the Big East, but them and UConn, their recruiting rankings are below 100 on average. And then USF, they had a bounce back here this year, but they were still considered a below average college team. And then Cincinnati, who has won a lot of games. They've had a couple of good seasons, including a playoff appearance, but they just got trucked this year, their first year in the Big 12. So it may be too early to pass judgment on how they're doing. Perhaps they'll write the ship as well. Uh, I don't want to take one season and say, okay, leave, or so sorry, Cincinnati stinks now. But they'll be an interesting one to watch over the next few years as well uh, to see if that was just a flash in the pan or it's a sign of things to come. 
Uh, great points as always. Uh, Virginia Tech, uh, two last points for me. I agree. Brent Pry is a very good coach. I think those recruiting rankings will go up over time. I think they are in a good place, uh, and they have a tremendous home field advantage. Uh, sure. It's a very, very tough place to play, which we'll find out in the fall. But, um, yeah, I, th I think they're certainly near the top of that list as well. But, again, I, just for Rutgers to be kind of, I, I think, you know, in the conversation and then also, you know, position better long-term uh, versus Pitt, uh, BC, Syracuse, uh, it's encouraging and uh, something to appreciate. And, and obviously, you know, with Louisville, Miami, Virginia Tech, uh, you know, uh, those are programs that, you know, you're, you're still trying to surpass – Long term, just in terms of how we look at things perspective wise. But um, again, being in the Big Ten is a game changer. And I think my last point is just a decade. We're a decade in. We haven't even scratched the surface in terms of what I think the Big Ten is going to do for Rutgers in this next decade. I think that's what's really most exciting. David Anderson, thanks so much for being back. Uh, we'll continue the offseason conversations and uh, hope everyone enjoyed this topic and uh, leave comments and send us notes. And if you have any other ideas that you want us to cover coming up, let us know. And uh, thanks for listening and watching the Scarlet Faithful podcast once again.